Section nine of Great Ghost Stories by Joseph Lewis French. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Section nine The Open Door, Part four. You've got an epidemic in your house, Colonel, Simpson said to me next morning. What's the meaning of it all? Here's your butler raving about a voice. This will never do, you know and so far as I can make out, you are in it, too. Yes, I am in it, doctor. I thought I had better speak to you. Of course, you are treating Roland all right, but the boy is not raving. He is as sane as you or me. It is all true. As sane as I or you? I never thought the boy insane. He's got cerebral excitement, fever. I don't know what you've got. There's something very queer about the look of your eyes. Come, said I. You can't put us all to bed, you know. You had better listen and hear the symptoms in full. The doctor shrugged his shoulders, but he listened to me patiently. He did not believe a word of the story, that was clear, but he heard it all from beginning to end. My dear fellow, he said, the boy told me just the same. It's an epidemic. When one person falls a victim to this sort of thing, it's as safe as can be. There's always two or three. Then how do you account for it? I said. Oh, account for it? That's a different matter. There's no accounting for the freaks our brains are subject to. If it's delusion, if it's some trick of the echoes or the winds, some phonetic disturbance or another. Come with me tonight and judge for yourself, I said. Upon this he laughed aloud, then said, That's not such a bad idea, but it would ruin me forever if it were known that John Simpson was ghost hunting. There it is, said I. You dart down on us, who are unlearned with your phonetic disturbances, but you daren't examine what the thing really is for fear of being laughed at. That's science. It's not science, it's common sense, said the doctor. The thing has delusion on the front of it. It is encouraging an unwholesome tendency even to examine. What good could come of it? Even if I am convinced, I shouldn't believe. I should have said so yesterday, and I don't want you to be convinced or to believe, said I. If you prove it to be a delusion, I shall be very much obliged to you for one. Come, somebody must go with me. You are cool, said the doctor. You've disabled this poor fellow of yours and made him, on that point, a lunatic for life. And now you want to disable me. But for once I'll do it, to save appearance. If you'll give me a bed, I'll come over after my last rounds. It was agreed that I should meet him at the gate, and that we should visit the scene of last night's occurrences before we came to the house so that nobody might be the wiser. It was scarcely possible to hope 
that the cause of Bagley's sudden illness should not somehow steal into the knowledge of the servants at least, and it was better that all should be done as quietly as possible. The day seemed to me a very long one. I had to spend a certain part of it with Roland, which was a terrible ordeal for me, for what could I say to the boy? The improvement continued, but he was still in a very precarious state, and the trembling vehemence with which he turned to me when his mother left the room filled me with alarm. "'Father,' he said quietly, "'yes, my boy, I am giving my best attention to it. All is being done that I can do. I have not come to any conclusion yet.' i am neglecting nothing you said i cried what i could not do was to give his active mind any encouragement to dwell upon the mystery it was a hard predicament for some satisfaction had to be given him he looked at me very wistfully with the great blue eyes which shone so large and brilliant out of his white and worn face you must trust me, I said. Yes, father. Father understands, he said to himself, as if to soothe some inward doubt. I left him as soon as I could. He was about the most precious thing I had on earth, and his health my first thought. But yet somehow, in the excitement of this other subject, I put that aside, and preferred not to dwell upon Roland, which was the most curious part of it all. That night at eleven I met Simpson at the gate. He had come by train, and I let him in gently myself. I had been so much absorbed in the coming experiment that I passed the ruins in going to meet him almost without thought, if you can understand that. I had my lantern, and he showed me a coil of taper which he had ready for use. "'There is nothing like light,' he said in his scoffing tone. It was a very still night, scarcely a sound, but not so dark. We could keep the path without difficulty as we went along. As we approached the spot, we could hear a low moaning, broken occasionally by a bitter cry." "'Perhaps that is your voice,' said the doctor. "'I thought it must be something of the kind. "'That's a poor brute caught in some of these infernal traps of yours. "'You'll find it among the bushes somewhere.' "'I said nothing. "'I felt no particular fear, "'but a triumphant satisfaction in what was to follow. "'I led him to the spot where Bagley and I had stood on the previous night.' All was silent as a winter night could be, so silent that we heard far off the sound of the horses in the stables, the shutting of a window at the house. Simpson lighted his taper and went peering about, poking into all the corners. We looked like two conspirators lying in wait for some unfortunate traveler, but not a sound broke the quiet. The moaning had stopped before we came up. A star or two shone over us in the sky, 
looking down as if surprised at our strange proceedings. Dr. Simpson did nothing but utter subdued laughs under his breath. I thought as much, he said. It is just the same with tables and all other kinds of ghostly apparatus. A skeptic's presence stops everything. When I am present, nothing ever comes off. How long do you think it will be necessary to stay here? Oh, I don't complain. Only when you are satisfied, I am. Quite. I will not deny that I was disappointed beyond measure by this result. It made me look like a credulous fool. It gave the doctor such a pull over me as nothing else could. I should point all his morals for years to come, and his materialism, his skepticism, would be increased beyond endurance. It seems, indeed, I said, that there is to be no manifestation, he said, laughing. That is what all the mediums say, no manifestations, in consequence of the presence of an unbeliever. His laugh sounded very uncomfortable to me in the silence, and it was now near midnight. But that laugh seemed the signal. Before it died away, the moaning we had heard before was resumed. It started from some distance off and came towards us, nearer and nearer, like someone walking along and moaning to himself. There could be no idea now that it was a hare caught in a trap. The approach was slow, like that of a weak person, with little halts and pauses. We heard it coming along the grass straight towards the vacant doorway. Simpson had been a little startled by the first sound. He said hastily, That child has no business to be out so late. But he felt, as well as I, that this was no child's voice. As it came nearer, he grew silent, and going to the doorway with his taper, stood looking out towards the sound. The taper, being unprotected, blew about in the night air though there was scarcely any wind. I threw the light of my lantern steady and white across the same space. It was in a blaze of light in the midst of the blackness. A little icy thrill had gone over me at the first sound, but as it came close I confess that my only feeling was satisfaction. The scoffer could scoff no more. The light touched his own face and showed a very perplexed countenance. If he was afraid, he concealed it with great success, but he was perplexed, and then all that had happened on the previous night was enacted once more. It fell strangely upon me with a sense of repetition. Every cry, every sob seemed the same as before. I listened almost without any emotion at all in my own person, thinking of its effect upon Simpson. He maintained a very bold front on the whole. All that coming and going of the voice was, if our ears could be trusted, exactly in front of the vacant blank doorway, blazing full of light, 
which caught and shone in the glistening leaves of the great hollies at a little distance. Not a rabbit could have crossed the turf without being seen, but there was nothing. After a time, Simpson, with a certain caution and bodily reluctance, as it seemed to me, went out with his roll of taper into this space. His figure showed against the holly in full outline. Just at this moment the voice sank, as was its custom, and seemed to fling itself down at the door. Simpson recoiled violently, as if someone had come up against him, then turned and held his taper low, as if examining something. "'Do you see anybody?' I cried in a whisper, feeling the chill of nervous panic steal over me at this action. "'It's nothing but a confounded juniper-bush,' he said. This I knew very well to be nonsense, for the juniper-bush was on the other side. He went about after this, round and round, poking his taper everywhere, then returned to me on the inner side of the wall. He scoffed no longer. His face was contracted and pale. "'How long does this go on?' he whispered to me, like a man who does not wish to interrupt someone who is speaking. I had become too much perturbed myself to remark whether the successions and changes of the voice were the same as last night. It suddenly went out in the air, almost as he was speaking, with a soft reiterated sob dying away. If there had been anything to be seen, I should have said that the person was at that moment crouching on the ground close to that door. We walked home very silent afterwards. It was only when we were in sight of the house that I said, What do you think of it? I can't tell what to think of it, he said quickly. He took, though he was a very temperate man, not the claret I was going to offer him, but some brandy from the tray, and swallowed it almost undiluted. Mind you, I don't believe a word of it, he said, when he had lighted his candle. But I can't tell what to think, he turned round to add, when he was halfway upstairs. All of this, however, did me no good with the solution of my problem. I was to help this weeping, sobbing thing, which was already to me as distinct a personality as anything I knew. Or what should I say to Roland? It was on my heart that my boy would die if I could not find some way of helping this creature. You may be surprised that I should speak of it in this way. I did not know if it was a man or woman, but I no more doubted that it was a soul in pain than I doubted my own being. And it was my business to soothe this pain, to deliver it, if that was possible. Was ever such a task given to an anxious father trembling for his only boy? I felt it in my heart, fantastic as it may appear that I must fulfill this somehow, or part with my child. And you may conceive that rather than do that, I was ready to die. 
but even my dying would not have advanced me unless by bringing me into the same world with that seeker at the door next morning simpson was out before breakfast and came in with evident signs of the damp grass on his boots and a look of worry and weariness which did not say much for the night he had passed he improved a little after breakfast and visited his two patients for bagley was still an invalid i went out with him on his way to the train to hear what he had to say about the boy he is going on very well he said there are no complications as yet but mind you that's not a boy to be trifled with mortimer not a word to him about last night i had to tell him then of my last interview with roland and of the impossible demand he had made upon me by which though he tried to laugh he was much discomposed as i could see we must just perjure ourselves all round he said and swear you exercised it but the man was too kind-hearted to be satisfied with that it's frightfully serious for you mortimer i can't laugh as i should like to i wish i saw a way out of it for your sake by the way he added shortly didn't you notice that juniper bush on the left-hand side there was one on the right hand of the door i noticed you made that mistake last night mistake he cried with a curious low laugh pulling up the collar of his coat as though he felt the cold there's no juniper there this morning left or right just go and see as he stepped into the train a few minutes after he looked back upon me and beckoned me for a parting word i'm coming back to-night he said i don't think i had any feeling about this as i turned away from that common bustle of the railway which made my private preoccupations feel so strangely out of date there had been a distinct satisfaction in my mind before that his scepticism had been so entirely defeated but the more serious part of the matter pressed upon me now i went straight from the railway to the manse which stood on a little plateau on the side of the river opposite to the woods of brentwood the minister was one of a class which is not so common in scotland as it used to be he was a man of good family well educated in the scotch way strong in philosophy not so strong in greek strongest of all in experience a man who had come across in the course of his life most people of note that had ever been in scotland and who was said to be very sound in doctrine without infringing the toleration with which old men who are good men are generally endowed he was old-fashioned Perhaps he did not think so much about the troublous problems of theology as many of the young men, nor ask himself any hard questions about the confession of faith. But he understood human nature, which is perhaps better. He received me with a cordial welcome. "'Come away, Colonel Mortimer,' 
he said, I'm all the more glad to see you that I feel it's a good sign for the boy. He's doing well. God be praised, and the Lord bless him and keep him. He has many a poor body's prayers, and that can do nobody harm. He will need them all, Dr. Moncrief, I said, and your counsel, too. And I told him the story, more than I had told Simpson. The old clergyman listened to me with many suppressed exclamations, and at the end the water stood in his eyes. That's just beautiful, he said. I do not mind to have heard anything like it. It's as fine as Burns when he wished deliverance to one. That is prayed for in no kirk. Ay, ay, so he would have you console the poor lost spirit. God bless the boy. There's something more than common in that, Colonel Mortimer, and also the faith of him in his father. I would like to put that into a sermon. Then the old gentleman gave me an alarmed look and said, no, no, I was not meaning a sermon, but I must write it down for the children's record. I saw the thought that passed through his mind. Either he thought, or he feared I would think, of a funeral sermon. You may believe this did not make me more cheerful. I can scarcely say that Dr. Moncrief gave me any advice. How could anyone advise on such a subject? But he said, I think I'll come too. I'm an old man. I'm less liable to be frightened than those that are further off the world unseen. It behooves me to think of my own journey there. I've no cut-and-dry beliefs on the subject. I'll come too and Maybe at the moment the Lord will put into our heads what to do. This gave me a little comfort, more than Simpson had given me. To be clear about the cause of it was not my grand desire. It was another thing that was in my mind, my boy. As for the poor soul at the open door, I had no more doubt, as I have said, of its existence than I had of my own. It was no ghost to me. I knew the creature, and it was in trouble. That was my feeling about it, as it was Roland's. To hear it first was a great shock to my nerves, but not now. A man will get accustomed to anything. But to do something for it was the great problem. How was I to be serviceable to a being that was invisible, that was mortal no longer? Maybe at the moment the Lord will put it into our heads. This is very old-fashioned phraseology, and a week before, most likely, I should have smiled, though always with kindness, at Dr. Moncrief's credulity. But there was a great comfort, whether rational or otherwise, I cannot say, in the mere sound of the words. End of section nine. The Open Door, Part Four. <laughs>